Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Kennard speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Again, good morning to those in the United States and Canada and around the world. To those over 2 billion people that have Internet access, I doubt seriously that 2 billion people worldwide are listening to me. That's my marketing reach. And um, I know this program is going out to those who sincerely want to believe what the Bible says and takes it very seriously, as in Isaiah chapter 66 Isaiah chapter 66, starting in verse 2. For those things have my hand made, this is the Lord speaking, and all those things have been, says the Lord, speaking in the text here. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word, and This is the problem that a lot of people have, ladies and gentlemen. They don't want to take the words of God seriously. They may read a certain scripture and stop and don't read the rest. They don't understand or consider the context, context meaning the location of the scripture where they're reading. And they start to be deceived and they don't understand the scriptures or a particular doctrine that they are trying to understand, so they can put it into use, so they can become a better person. After all, Yeshua and Yohanan or John the Baptist stated that we must repent. Uh, We all have to change our behavior. We all have something wrong with us, some more than others. And it's very important to understand the concept of repentance, and I do have that in the archives somewhere. If not, you can simply email me and I can explain to you how to repent if that's what you want to do. It's uh, kennard at mercifulservantsofgod.com. Well, this program I hope will be interesting. Uh, It's going to be about a traditional Jewish uh, holiday called Tubishvat. All right? And basically, this day pictures the destruction of um, the temple. Actually, it's not to Bishvat. <laughs> Sorry. It's Tishabath. I get those two mixed up. Tishabath. Now, to Bishvat is earlier in the year. But Tishabath uh, is a day that symbolizes the destruction of... Um, the temples, the first and the second temple, and I'm going to go over that later on. So it's Tishabah, not Tabishvat, but Tishabah. And it's T-I-S-H-A-B apostrophe A-V. Tishabah. Again, the way to pronounce it is Tishabah. So I'm going to talk about Tishabah and the three weeks and the significance, because uh, Yeshua prophesied about Tishabah in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 and 2. And we're going to go over that later on today, but I just or I know Yah or God is leading me to address what's going on in Egypt right now. And I, I do this from time to time. And I know this is one of the responsibilities that he's given me. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 3, it says about 
not Ezekiel, but it, and, uh, yeah, let me go to Ezekiel. I'm getting Ezekiel and Exodus mixed up. But Ezekiel chapter 3, and it states here, um, and this is for Ezekiel, but it's for anyone who understands the prophecies as well to to preach what the prophet Ezekiel, under the inspiration of Yah, or God, was told to write down. In Ezekiel 3, verse 4, And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee into the house of Israel. Now, let me explain to you who the house of Israel is. The house of Israel is not just the Jews, folks. It's, it's um, also consists of 12 tribes, which the Jews is part of those tribes. In Genesis chapter 49, it explains, and it's an end-time prophecy, by the way, it, it helps you to identify those 12 tribes. And if you're interested in understanding that, you need to go to your Davidi's website. It's www.bazinboyritam.org. He accurately explains through biblical sources and secular sources that the 12 tribes that are listed in Genesis 49 are today geographically the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations. Matter of fact, the word Britain, Brit means covenant in Hebrew, and Ish means man in Hebrew. So the British are covenant men. So that's one of the identifying signs that they are a part of Israel. Um, of course, Canada is a part of the British Empire. Uh, New Zealand, Austria. Uh, I mean, not Austria, but Australia. Uh, South Africa and the countries in Northwestern Europe. Of course, anyone and anywhere around the world uh, that believes in Yeshua Messiah is um, grafted into the Commonwealth of Israel. So anyway, that's Israel. So when you see the House of Israel, particularly talking about the ten tribes outside of the Jews, okay? And whenever I see House of Israel, I, I, I immediately, when I read the scriptures, think about the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, and all those other geographical areas. So, Ezekiel 3, verse 5. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard, hard language, but to the house of Israel. Verse 6. Not too many people of a strange speech and of a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened to thee. So he's saying, again, and this is significant because uh, God was not working with the nations at this time. He was only working with uh, the house of Israel back in the time of Ezekiel. Uh, verse 7, but the house of Israel will not hearken to thee. And this is prophetic because they certainly don't do it today either. For they will not hearken unto thee, for all the house of Israel are imputed and hard-hearted. This is the reason why I continue to do what I'm doing. I'm, I'm following the prophet Ezekiel's example. The assembly of Yah, or God, is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. That's found in, Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. And so we must continue on building on that foundation. So anyway, he says that the house of Israel... They won't listen because they're impudent and hard-hearted. Now, what does those words mean? Because it describes our people perfectly. Uh, impudent means um, hard-headed, loud, stiff-necked, and hard-hearted, stubborn. And that's a, really a perfect description of, of Americans and Britons and, and Australians and New Zealands and, 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 and those in the... Those, uh, South Africans and also those in uh, those people in uh, Northwestern Europe. In verse eight, behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads, as an adamant harder than flint. Have I made thy forehead? People have told me that I'm <laughs> very well. I'm to the point, and I am kind of hard-headed, and uh, I am stubborn when it comes to. Uh, keeping God's commandments. I, I want to continue to do it, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to keep those commandments and not go to the left or to the, or to the right. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. He calls the house of Israel, the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, uh, rebellious. 
Verse 10, Moreover he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thy mind and hear with thine ears. And he says, And go, get thee to them of the captivity, and to the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus says the Lord, God, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. So it's, it's, that's the job that anyone that understands the scriptures, that's what they should do. Ezekiel 3, verse 17, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him not warning. And this is what this program really is. It's a warning to repent or else. That's what it is. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speak of to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life. The same wicked shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered thy soul. So this program is how I Make sure no blood is required at my hand. Your blood. This is how I make sure that your blood is not required at my hand. Verse 20. Again, when a righteous man does turn from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at your hand. So this is very important for those who call themselves ministers and Torah teachers and so forth. You have to warn people. When you see things like Egypt going on as I'm speaking, when you realize this country is on the verge of having curses that have never happened to this nation occur, when the so-called leaders of this country are endorsing homosexuality, and you don't warn about that, He's going to require the blood of other people at your hand. Verse 21, Nevertheless, if, if, if thou warn a righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned, and you have delivered thy soul. Verse 22, And the hand of the Lord was upon me and said, Arise, go forth into the plain. So, you know, again, this is a fair God here. So we're not responsible. All we have to do is warn those who consider themselves Torah teachers and ministers. And I have had people, you know, on on Shabbat, when I go and fellowship with people, I talk about prophecy, they get all scared and, you know. (laughs) know, Prophecy is a lot, it's, it's a major part of the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. And, and and if you're afraid of prophecy, you got some issues with, with Yah, and you need to get on your knees and pray to Yah to help you to, to understand prophecy and to accept it. Because we're living, I, I know you've heard this over and over again, but we are certainly living in the end times, ladies and gentlemen. We have a, we have so many nuclear bombs, that could, hydrogen bombs, that could just blow this earth up ten times over right now. Uh, we are living in the time that Yeshua stated in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. Let's let's turn there. Let's turn there. We really don't have that much time, folks. Uh, even scientists state that we're not going to make it the rest of the century unless something has to change here. Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. Verse 22, And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Uh, We are certainly in the nuclear bomb generation that this scripture is describing, because only with a nuclear bomb could this happen, where no flesh or humanity would be totally destroyed. And on top of that, there's other signs with the homosexuality running rampant, uh, in this country, which influences other nations. Uh, France is already, I think, they're allowing same-sex marriage, and it's happening in other nations around the world. Uh, this situation with Egypt now, which certainly has everything to do 
with uh, the coming of the Messiah, as I'm going to show you. Let me turn to Isaiah. Isaiah, chapter 19. Now, sure, this happened before, but it's prophetic. And when you read this entire chapter, it, it leads to the coming of the Messiah. So that's why we need to pay attention to what's going on in Egypt right now. Verse 1, the burden of Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt. And the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. Verse 2, and I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians. What's happening right now as I'm speaking? Exactly what this verse said. The Egyptians are against the Egyptians, and they shall fight everyone against his brother, the, the Muslim Brotherhood. You ever hear of that before? And everyone against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. Verse 3, and the spirit of Egypt shall fall in the midst thereof, and I will destroy the council thereof, and they shall seek to the idols, and to the charm, and to them that have familiar spirits, and to the wizards. And the Egyptians will I give over into the hand of a cruel lord, and a fierce king shall rule over them, says the Lord of hosts. It appears that this prophecy um, could happen again. And this understanding, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9, whatever has happened in the past will happen again. And prophecy does have a tendency to repeat itself, maybe not exactly the same way, but the characteristics are similar. The reason why you need to pay attention to this is because it talks about the coming of the Messiah here in the context of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. Uh, again, I'm not predicting dates. What I am doing with, with the help of God through the scriptures is warning you, telling you to observe and pay attention to certain events that are going on in the world right now to hopefully wake you up. Okay? Um, that's the way man is really waked up to obey the Lord is through events, tragic events, unfortunately. So, in the states right here, in verse 16, And that day shall Egypt be like unto women, Isaiah 19, verse 16, And it shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shall shake over it. Verse 17, and the land of Judah, which is the land of Judah, what is that, Palestine today? West Bank, shall be a terror unto Egypt. So this is a prophecy. Every one that makes mention thereof shall be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he has determined against it. Verse 18, in that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan and swear to the Lord of hosts. One shall be called the city of destruction. Verse 19, In that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. Verse 20, Now remember, Egypt also is symbolically a sign of the nations outside of Israel. So I want you to understand that as, as we continue to read this scripture. Verse 20, And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt, for they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors. And he shall send them a Savior, that's the Messiah, and a great one, and he shall deliver them. Verse 21, And the Lord shall be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day, and shall do sacrifices and oblation. Remember, Egypt is a type of the world. They're certainly outside of Israel. And people... Incorrectly preached that the sacrifices will not be reinstituted, that it's all symbolic and, and all the the church is the temple, which is true, but that's not the only temple that's talked about in the Bible. And that's what Tishabab is all about, basically. A majority of it is about the temple. The temple. And that day, and shall do sacrifice and oblation, and yes, they shall vow a vow unto the Lord and perform it. Verse 22, And the Lord shall smite Egypt. He shall smite and heal it. And that's how he punishes adults, folks. That's how he's going to punish the world. By smiting us through uh, all kinds of stuff. War. Uh, more than likely we're going to use the nuclear bombs. We've used We've used all types of weapons that we've created. It's not one weapon we haven't used. 
and more than likely we're going to use nuclear bombs. And they shall return even to the Lord, and he shall be entreated of them, and shall heal them. In all likelihood, that's going to happen, because what does Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 to 22 state? If he did not come, no flesh should be saved. Well, how is that possible unless we're using nuclear bombs? Let's wake up, folks. Verse 23. And that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Israel, to Isaiah. Isaiah is in the land of Iraq today, around that area. In that day shall there be a highway out of Egypt to Isaiah, and Isaiah shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Isaiah, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Isaiahs. This is a prophecy. This has not happened yet. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Isaiah, even a blessing in the midst of the land. Verse 25. Whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Isaiah, the work of my hand. And Israel, my inheritance. And this is a very powerful scripture here because it just proves that God is not a God of partiality. He wants everybody to be his people, even the Egyptians. He loves everyone. And we have to learn how to love everyone. And so when you look at what's going on in Egypt today, please remember what I've just told you. Remember what God is telling you. That all this is going to lead to worldwide peace. That's what this is referring to. Now, we we have an issue here in this country with all this gay stuff. But before I get into that, let me read out of the book, one of the greatest books I think has been ever written here. Uh, as far as our history, as far as United States history. And it has a listing of important prayers that our presidents have made throughout the years. And people say, well, some of the presidents were in the Illuminati or they were this or that. Well, no one's perfect, folks, okay? So you're not perfect, I'm not perfect, no one's perfect, but... If there's some good out of anything, we ought to talk about it, all right? Sometimes I get the, the sense that people want someone to be perfect to learn from them. Uh, if that's the case, you're going to be scratching your head for the rest of your life. There's no one perfect. But a righteous person is not someone who's perfect. A righteous person is someone who strives to become or be righteous and do the best they can to do it and are humble enough to acknowledge their mistakes and they repent and they become even a better person because of it. That is a righteous person. Okay, so let me pick a president here. Let's see. There's a lot of them here. Oh, let me pick Mr. James Monroe. One of our presidents is on page 39, James Monroe. This happened March 4, 1817, the first inaugural. And he states, under this constitution, the states, respectively protected by the national government under a mild parental system against foreign dangers, and enjoying within their separate spheres by a wise partition of power, a just proportion of the sovereignty, are the best proofs of wholesome laws administered are the best proofs of wholesome laws well administered and if we look to the condition of individuals what a proud spectacle does it exhibit on whom has oppression fallen in any quarter of our union who has been deprived of any right of person or property who restrained from offering his vows in the mold which he prefers to the divine author of his being it is well known that all these blessings have been enjoyed in their fullest extent such, then, is the happy government under which we live, a government which protects every citizen, or in the context of the 21st century, uh, I'm just adding this, should be protecting every citizen, <laughs> and the full enjoyment of its rights, and is able to protect the nation against injustice from foreign powers. So, what raised us to this present happy state? The government has been in the hands of the people, to the people, therefore, and to the faithful and able 
of their trust is their credit due. It is only when the people become ignorant and corrupt, like they're becoming now, unfortunately, I'm adding that, when they degenerate into a populace that they are incapable of exercising their sovereignty. Usurpation is then an easy attainment and an usurper soon found. The people themselves become the willing instruments of their own debasement and ruin. And that's what's happening right now. If we preserve in the career, or if we persevere in the career in which we have advanced so far, and in a path already traced, we cannot fail under the favor of a gracious providence to attain the high destiny which seems to await us. I enter on the trust to which I have been called by the suffrages of my fellow citizens and my fervent prayers to the Almighty that He will be graciously pleased to continue to us that protection which He has already so conspicuously displayed in our favor. So that's from. Uh, one of our presidents, Mr. James Monroe, the president, at that time in 1817. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have, because of the Supreme Court ruling, we certainly have degenerated as a nation. And this prophecy in Hosea, chapter 4, verse 1, is a now prophecy. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. Most people have a Bible, but most of them are ignorant of, of uh, what the Bible says. This is what it's talking about. Verse 2, verse 2 of Hosea chapter 4. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, this describes the violence that occurs not only in this country but around the world. They break out and blood touches blood. Therefore should a land mourn, and everyone that dwells therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven. Yes, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away Yet let no man strive, nor reprove another, for thy people are as they, they that strive with the priests. Therefore shall thou fall in, in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. This is the verse I want to get to here. Verse 6, my people, my people, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me, saying that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. And that's, and he has forgotten children. I've heard of unfortunate deaths in this country of children. And he will continue to do that as long as we continue to rebel and think we know better than the Bible. So let's find out what's going on nationally here by going to the Economic Collapse blog, the economiccollapseblog.com. Actually, before I do that, let me go to watch.org here because, uh, like I said, Egypt, there's it, <laughs> a lot of things going on right now in Egypt. And he, Koenig, uh this website, www.watch.org, it does an excellent job of helping us keep up to date with what's going on with Israel and the Middle East. He has right here, post-coup violence spreads in Egypt. Two days after Egypt's military replaced the country's president, it sent soldiers into the streets to quell demonstrations. As a week of tensions between the Islamists and the military transformed to deadly confrontations that heightened some Egyptians' fears of civil war. What I just read to you in the prophecies that there's going to be a civil war. Egyptian is against Egyptian. Demonstrations turned bloody Friday as hundreds of thousands of Muslim Brotherhood, here we go, Brotherhood supporters turned out to protest this week's military led ouster of President Mohammed Morsi. Muslim Brotherhood officials said police opened fire on protesters in Cairo, where Mr. Morsi and 12 aides were being held under house arrest, killing five people. The military denied those allegations. 
Later in the day, armored personnel carriers arrived on the October 6th bridge near Tyre Square to restore order after rival camps clashed with rocks, fireworks, and according to several witnesses, gunfire from automatic weapons. And so that's what's going on right now in Egypt. So where would this lead to? Well, we'll see. We we know ultimately this will lead to the, the coming of the Messiah, but of course we don't know when. And it's interesting, as Egypt, a nation divided, and that prophecy reveals in Isaiah chapter 19 that that's what would happen. Obviously in the end times as well. And it looks like there's going to be a cruel leader leading them in the future, according to the prophecies as well. So keep an eye on Egypt. Let's go back now to the economic collapse to understand what's going on nationally in the United States. Uh, is www.TheEconomicCollapseBlog.com. Now, the headline to this fantastic blog, and I suggest that you read, refer to this blog often and prepare for what's about to go down, ladies and gentlemen. You just cannot have your head in the sand. Everything is not okay. That's a lie. That's a lie. Proverbs 22, verse 3. Let me read this in the... Um, 1965 Bible and basic English version, so that you understand. The sharp man or woman sees the evil and takes cover. The simple go on straight on and get into trouble. And I'm trying to warn you, God always has his servants to warn you. It's up to you to respond to the warning, ladies and gentlemen. Let's be like Noah, because he's a certainly like the days of Noah today. Uh, in Hebrews. Chapter 11, starting at verse 7, says, By faith Noah, being moved by the fear of God, made ready an ark for the salvation of his family, because God had given him news of things which were not seen at the time. He gave him prophecy. And through it, through it, the world was judged by him, and he got for his heritage the righteousness which is by faith. So that's what prophecy should do, ladies and gentlemen. You shouldn't be afraid of prophecy. Prophecy is God's words. What are you going to be afraid of God's words for? That's crazy and, quite frankly, stupid. Uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Reading this in the complete Jewish Bible version, for clarity's sake. Without a prophetic vision, the people throw off restraint. But he who keeps Torah is happy. Part of keeping Torah, ladies and gentlemen, is having a prophetic vision. And, you know, the people throwing off restraint. Well, let's read this in the, in the, base, the Bible in basic English version. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says, When, when there is no vision, and that word vision in, in, in the uh, original Hebrew means prophetic vision, the people are uncontrolled. So if you don't have something to look forward to, something that you can plan for, the people act like they're little kids that can't control themselves. When you can't when you don't plan for things, when you don't have a proper guide to plan for things, that's what happens. Certainly, much more so with the prophecies. But he who keeps the law will be happy. That's a part of keeping Torah. People are wrong when they tell me not to talk about prophecy uh, during the Shabbat. The Shabbat is prophecy. We're, we're entering into the Shabbat. What is Shabbat? Shabbat is a picture of the peaceful kingdom of God. The 1,000-year rule of the Messiah. So Shabbat is picturing prophecy. We've got to wake up. Stop wanting the Bible to be taught the way we want it to be taught. We have to tremble, tremble before the words of God. And if you're not, if you're not humble enough to tremble, you are going to have a very difficult time entering the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, the Bible plainly states here about the righteous. Let me see if I can find it here. Scare. Slee. 
one scripture that tells us that the righteous shall be scarcely saved. Okay, so it's it's, it's something that we we <laughs> are going to have to really understand here. Yes, in First Peter four, verse eighteen. First Peter four, verse eighteen. Actually, let me look at uh, first get the context here. First Peter four verse seventeen. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. That means that people like myself, who understands the truth of the Bible, are being judged right now. We're being judged right now. And if it first began at us, and anyone that listens to me and understands what I'm saying, uh, teaching here, and is serious about keeping the Torah, judgment is all, you're being judged as well right now. And if it first began at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? So, okay, here we go again. We've got to obey something. Verse 18. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, let them suffer according to the will of God, committing the keeping of their souls that are lives to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is serious business. This is serious business. And, uh, you know, God is not playing around here. He's tired of people disobeying him. He's tired of people acting like they know more than him. He's tired of all that. And, And he wants mankind to repent of that rebellious attitude. We've got to stop doubting the scriptures and thinking that, oh, there's mistranslations here, there, and everywhere. No, it's not. I can tell you that. I've studied the Bible for years. And the biggest problem in the Bible is not the little mistranslations that are there. It's that people don't want to believe it. That's the biggest problem. People have their excuses why they shouldn't believe the scriptures. It's all rebellion. That's all it is. But anyway, getting back to this uh, website here, the economic collapse, it says, is it anti-faith to prepare for the coming economic collapse? So I hope I've answered that question already. It certainly isn't anti-faith. If anything, is pro-faith to prepare for the coming economic collapse? Does being a prepper show a lack of faith in God? Should good Christians reject prepping altogether? Even FEMA, our government, one of our government departments or organizations states that we should always be prepared for disasters. Anyway, should good Christians reject prepping altogether? Yesterday, someone actually accused me of being anti-faith. It's crazy. Because I am encouraging people to prepare for the economic collapse. This man has more common sense than a lot of ministers. And he's not a minister as far as I know. He's just for free, warning people. And he's blessed for that. I know he is. This person believes that if I had faith, then I would make no provision for what is ahead and simply trust in God's providence alone. So is that person right? Is it really anti-faith to prepare for the coming economic collapse? (laughs) I spent quite a bit of time thinking about these questions today, and I'm sure you have, but I can tell you right now, I've already read, read your scriptures, it's certainly not anti-faith to do that, okay? Those that visit my site on a regular basis know that I am a Christian, obviously so, and I am very open about that fact. I am someone that places a very high value on faith. The scriptures tell us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and soul. And need, lean not unto your own understanding. And that's a big problem with a lot of people. They lean unto their own understanding. Without God, none of us has any hope. Let me underscore that. Without God, none of us has any hope. In fact, without God, I would probably be dead by now. Same here. <laughs> I would agree. But faith is not about sitting on your couch and waiting for God to do everything for you. And that's what people in this lazy society think. They think, oh, we do nothing, and God does everything for us. You know, that was the attitude that the Israelites had back in the days of Moshe. And a, and a major event happened because of that attitude. And it fell on the knife of Av, Tishabah. 
Anyway, but faith is not about sitting on your couch and waiting for God to do everything for you. Rather, faith is about taking action on what God has directed you to do. Let me underscore this again, another definition of faith, in, um, in addition to the fact that the Bible tells you that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith must have works, too. That's in James chapter 2. It's like many people want to take an eraser and erase that whole chapter. Of course they do, because it talks about poverty. It talks about not favoring the rich over the poor, which many people do today. Uh, and then it also talks about the fact that you have to have works to prove your faith and trust and belief in God. Because faith is really belief in God. It's trust in God. Rather, faith is about taking action on what God has directed you to do. That's what belief, trust, and faith is. What I don't understand is why any of these Christians that are 100% against prepping continue to go to work. <laughs> That's a good question. Very, very good point there. <laughs> if we are, yeah, you know why they go to work. Because they got to eat. And that's what we do in this country, don't we? We eat so much that God prophesied about our people that we wax fat. We're Jezreel and we wax fat. We lay around and don't exercise and do nothing. Anyway, what I don't understand is why any of these Christians that are 100% against prepping continue to go to work. If we are to make no provision for ourselves and simply trust in God's providence alone, then why do they need to earn a paycheck? Why can't they just sit home and wait for God to fill up their bank accounts? Excellent points. Excellent points. Yes, God can do mind-blowing supernatural things that require absolutely no participation on our part. I know because it's happened to me. It certainly happened to me too. But the vast majority of the time, God works with us. Let's underscore that again for those who need to be woke up. And I know people who listen to me need to be woke up. So listen to this. But the vast majority of the time... God works with us. He requires us to take steps of faith and obedience. And in the process, he leads us, he guides us, he blesses us, and he opens doors for us. The story of Noah, and I just read you Hebrews 11, verse 7. And I didn't even know that he was going to do the same thing. But hey, obviously we are of the same spirit here in this, talking about this subject. The story of Noah is a perfect example of this. He was perhaps the very first prepper. God could have kept Noah and his family safe from the flood by transporting them to some sort of very comfortable heavenly waiting area and brought them back when everything was dry, but he didn't do that. Instead, God warned Noah about what was coming and ordered him to build a boat. So did Noah just sit back and wait for God to do everything for him like a lazy bum? No. He exercised his faith by taking action. He believed the warning and he built a giant boat. And I already quoted Hebrews 11, verse 7. And he says, Noah is commended for his radical faith, which produced radical action. There's nothing wrong with being radical. As long as it's righteous, I've been accused of being radical. Well, I'm going to be radical all I want, as long as it's backed up by the Bible. And if you don't like it, it's just too bad. You go someplace. Anyway, faith almost always involves action. God wants to see if we are going to believe him and do what he has instructed us to do. And the amount of faith that Noah exhibited was staggering. The boat that he and his family built was approximately the size of a World War II aircraft carrier. It took a very, very long time to build that boat and collect all of the food and supplies for his family and for all the animals. And surely Noah must have gotten very tired. I hear people complaining, I'm tired, I'm tired of doing this, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. You know? Of all the mocking, as he warned everyone else about what was coming for decades. But in the end, Noah's prepping paid off. He and his family were saved, and everyone else drowned. Unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians out there today that are 100% against prepping for what is ahead, even though they will admit that an economic collapse is coming, which is plain stupidity. I'm just adding that. The, the, the individual that accused me of being anti-faith is an example of this. So anyway, I'm not going to go and read everything in here. I, I just wanted you to understand that you need to start preparing, folks. You listen to me and you hear other people. I'm certainly not the only one. Warning. There's not that many, though. I know that much. The prophecies reveal that. You need to listen to me and other folks that are telling you 
accurately about what's about to go down here. All right? We are certainly living in the days of Lot, in the days of Noah, based on the gauge that he uses to intensify the fulfillment of prophecies. And that gauge is homosexuality, ladies and gentlemen. That's certainly homosexuality. And you need to wake up to that reality. And if you don't, uh, there's going to be great destruction that will occur on this earth. Okay, I just noticed that somebody's holding. And you are on the air? Oh, I'm just listening in. Thank you. Okay, just listening. Okay. All right, no problem. Mm -hmm. Get you off the air. Okay, I have someone listen here to me. That's great. Anyway, let me continue on here. (sighs) Folks, you know, I I know you've heard many people incorrectly preaching that the end times is now. Folks, there's too much stuff going on right now to say that it's not the end times now. All right, you just got to go to the Bible Look at what the Messiah stated to Christ, Yeshua, Jesus. You have to see what he said. You can't wait for somebody to give us a date. You have to look at the events. That's what you have to look at. And right here in Luke chapter 17, verse 28, he plainly states here, Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, here's the key verse. Verse 30, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So he's prophesying the greatest prophet who ever lived is telling us, is telling us plainly that homosexuality will have a major role in the end time. That's what caused the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's what's going to cause the destruction of almost all the earth. One of the major causes of it anyway. And that's what he's telling us. Anyway, let me get to the meaning of Tishabah. All right, before time runs out here. Now, Tishabah is a Jewish traditional day that really begins earlier then the knife evolved. It says uh, Tishabah in the three weeks. I got this from Chabad.org, C-H-A-B-A-D.org. It says, what are the three weeks? The three weeks is an annual mourning period that falls out in the summer. This is when we mourn the destruction of the Holy Temple and are launched into a still ongoing exile. Now, interestingly, the uh, the three weeks began or begins every year on the 17th of Tammuz which is a Hebrew month of Tammuz. And during the uh, the uh, start of it, well, the start of it began this year, June 25th. June 26th, that's when the Supreme Court ruled that it's okay for people that are gay couples to marry in California. And also uh, it's okay for uh, people that are already can get married in the other states to be recognized like, like a normal marriage legally. And have all the benefits. That happens. So that's prophetic and certainly is something to mourn for as well for this country and for the world. But anyway, this period begins on the 17th of the Hebrew month of Tammuz, a fast day that marks the day when the walls of Jerusalem was breached by the Romans in 69 CE. It reaches its climax and concludes with the fast of the ninth of Av, the date when the holy temples were set aflame. This is the saddest day of the Jewish calendar. And it's also the date of other tragedies spanning uh, the Jewish nation's history, or the, na- uh, or the history of the Jews, observances, or Israel. There are various mourning-related customs and observances that are followed for the three for the entire three-week period. Which again, it began June 25th, and it doesn't end until um, July 17th of this year. July 17th would be the ninth of Av. Uh, to Bishva, which the destructions of the temple occurred on, on that day, the 9th of Av, which is on the Roman calendar, 
July 17th. Let me make sure I'm telling you right there. Yes. Actually, it's 16th. On July 16th is Tisha B'Av, according to the Roman calendar. All right, let me go back. And uh, there are various morning-related customs and observances that are followed for the entire three-week period until midday of the 10th of the Hebrew month of Av, or if that date falls on Friday the morning of that day. We do not cut our hair, purchase new clothes, or listen to music. No weddings are held. So this is... This is not scriptural, but this is something that you can do if you want. I, I really believe that it is right to recognize the ninth of Av and is right to study about the temple, what happened, uh, why was it destroyed. Uh, Yeshua prophesied to, to Shabbat. Um, he prophesied that that would occur in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, and, and it says right here in the King James Version, uh, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to, s- to show him the buildings of the temple. In verse 2, And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So he prophesied the ninth of all, the observance uh, to Bishba, or Tishaba, rather. I'm getting it mixed up again. Tishaba. He prophesied that this would happen. We didn't know it would be on a knife of all, but that's what happened. He knew. He knew. He certainly knew because he's the word of God. So the 17th of Tammuz is a fast day on which we refrain from eating and drinking from dawn to nightfall. That's what, that happened on June 25th. It says the final nine days of the three weeks are a time of intensified mourning. Starting on the 1st of Av, we refrain from eating meat or drinking wine and from wearing freshly laundered clothes. The ninth of Av is a more stringent fast day than the 17th of Tammuz. It begins at sunset of the previous morning when we gather in the synagogue to read the Book of Lamentations. So this is a good time to read the Book of Lamentations, which is the destruction, is a recording of the destruction of the first temple in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. And the prophet Jeremiah, who remember, he, he was not just a prophet to Israel, he was also a prophet to the entire world all the nations, and he uh, wrote down exactly, gave you a summary of all the suffering that the house of Judah went through back, or the Jews, back in 586 B.C. All right, so besides fasting, we abstain from additional pleasures, washing, applying lotions or creams, wearing leather shoes. Now, this is something, again, that's optional, but I really believe that we should at least observe the day uh, remember it, do some extra Bible study on the temple. Uh, if you want to fast, that's up to you. Um, it's not a Torah commandment to fast on this day, but if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But I really believe that it is appropriate to acknowledge uh, the destruction of the temples. So, it says, there is more to the three weeks than fasting and lamentation. Our sages tell us that those who mourn the destruction of Jews and were married, seeing it rebuilt with the coming of uh, the Messiah, or Moshiach. Moshiach. It says, may that day come soon, and then all the mournful dates on the calendar will be transformed into days of tremendous joy and happiness. So, th- this is very important, ladies and gentlemen, and then... Um, in the remaining six minutes, I'll tell you exactly what happened on the ninth of Av. This is from Habad.org. It says, the ninth of Av, Tishabah, commemorates a list of catastrophes so severe as clearly a day specially cursed by God. Picture this. The year is 1313 BCE. The Israelites are in the desert, recently having experienced miraculous exodus and are now poised to enter the promised land. But first they dispatch a mission to assist in formulating a prudent battle strategy. The spies return on the eighth day of Av and report that the land is unconquerable. That night, the ninth of Av, the people cried. They insisted they'd rather go back to Egypt than be slaughtered by the Canaanites. And this is interesting that Egypt is in the context of the ninth of Av, what's going on prophetically right now. Very interesting. They insisted they'd rather go back to Egypt than be slaughtered by the Canaanites. God is highly displeased by this public demonstration of distrust in his power and consequently that generation of Israelites never enters the Holy Land. Only their children have their privilege after wandering in the desert for another 30 years. So they didn't execute faith. And how did they not execute belief in God or faith? They did not do what God commanded them to do. They were afraid. 
And just like today, uh, the lessons that the Jews teach about uh, Tishabah is that it's a day to repent of saying, well, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't repent. Oh, I can't stop this sin. Oh, you know. No, you can't. You, there's no excuse. When you have the Holy Spirit of God, there's no excuse. You can do anything through the Holy Spirit, through the power of God, ladies and gentlemen. And that's the lesson to be learned about Tubishba or Tishaba. The first temple also was destroyed in the ninth of all, 423 BCE. Five centuries later, in, in 69 CE, as the Romans drew closer to the second temple, ready to torch it, the Jews were shocked to realize that their second temple was destroyed the same day as the first. When the Jews rebelled against Roman rule, they believed that their leader, Simon bar Kokhba would fulfill their messianic longing. So they thought he was the Messiah. The Jews have a lot of false messiahs. <laughs> but their hopes were cruelly dashed in 133 CE as the Jewish rebels were brutally butchered in the final battle at Batar. The date of the massacre, of course, the ninth of Ah. One year after their conquest of Batar, the Romans plowed, plowed over the Temple Mount, our nation's holiest site. The Jews were expelled from England in 1290 CE on, you guessed it, Tubishba, a Tishabah, rather. Keep on getting the mix up. Tishaba. In 1492, the Golden Age of Spain came to a close when Queen Isabella and her husband Ferdinand ordered that the Jews be banished from the land. The Edict of Expulsion was signed on March 31, 1492, and the Jews were given exactly four months to put their affairs in order and leave the country. The Hebrew date on which no Jew was allowed any longer to remain in the land where he had enjoyed welcome prosperity, oh, by now you should know it, the knife of Ah. Ready for just one more? World War II and the Holocaust. Historians conclude it was actually the long, drawn-out conclusion of World War I that began in 1914. And yes, amazingly enough, Germany declared war on Russia, effectively um, catapulting the First World War into motion on the knife of our Tishaba. What do you make of all this? Jews see this as another confirmation of the deeply held conviction that history isn't haphazard. Events, even terrible ones, are part of a divine plan and have spiritual meaning. The message of time. The message of time is that everything has a rational purpose, even though we don't understand it. And this frequent occurrence of major events in Jewish history and world history only confirms this scripture that is listed in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9. It states here that the thing that has been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done, is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. That scripture proves that prophecy has uh, a, a habit of repeating itself, ladies and gentlemen. Not every prophecy, but a lot of them. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you understand the significance of Tisha B'ah. Um I suggest that you at least recognize the day on the Jewish calendar. It's uh, July 16th, the ninth of Av. If you want to fast, do that. Do whatever you need to do to understand that Yah requires us to repent. He doesn't want any excuses, ladies and gentlemen. He will help you repent. He'll help you to change and become a better person so that you can enter the kingdom of God. May Yah bless and keep you. And Elohim ready, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, 
lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.